and we are preparing to start our discourse. I am in the middle of giving commentaries on the fundamental text of Indian spirituality, which is the Bhagavad Gita. In giving these commentaries, I am trying always to show, to show the yogic aspects, to explain things according to the principles of yoga, of the spiritual practice as yoga sees it, according to the chakras, according to the energies, so therefore especially the tantric yoga angle that we are upholding in the school here. I am in the beginning of the chapter 6. I will start with the strophe number 5 today. It is very possible that in this season I will stop with the analysis of this chapter 6 because in the first 6 chapters the teachings given by Krishna in Bhagavad Gita are having a certain unity. After the chapter 6, there start other themes. In the first 6 chapters, Krishna focuses on the spiritual basics and especially on the elements related to Karma Yoga and to its practice. And um, in the strophe number 5, Krishna who is speaking, keeps on telling to Arjuna more and more of the principles. In the chapter 5 and 6, among others, he is making a game of words by using the word Atma, 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 Atma many times. If you would read it in Sanskrit, you would see a lot of Atma, like the word Atma repeated in a very peculiar way and of course the whole catch of it is that the word Atma can be used to express oneself in terms of one's personality or ego, what we would call the lower self and also it can be used in expressing the higher self, the supreme self, the real self and then of course uh, it makes it sound in a very poetic way by using the words with double entendre. He says in the shloka number five, let a man lift himself by his own self alone. Let him not lower himself, for this self alone is the friend of oneself, and this self alone is the enemy of oneself. The whole of it sounds like a Zen koan, like a puzzling sentence. If you do not know which one of the so-called self is the lower self, let's write it with a small s, and the other one is the higher self, let's write it with a capital S. Reading again this shloka with this meaning, you would say, let a man rise his lower self by his higher self, let him not debase his higher self, he alone indeed is his own friend, he alone is his own enemy, like the higher self is your friend, the lower self is your enemy. Let's split this and see where he goes. He says, let a man rise his lower self by his higher self. This is a statement which is common in yoga that our lower self, which at the first level could be called the human soul, 
the individual soul, which technically in yoga is called Jivatman, is a reflection of the higher self, which is called Atman or Paramatman. And therefore, the idea is that our lower self is exactly like the reflection of the sun into a bowl of water. You cannot really change the sun, but the reflection of the sun in a bowl of water is influenced by the quality of the water, by the peacefulness of the surface of the water, and other factors. And thus, those of you who study yoga in Agama and who have reached to the point of studying about Jivatman when studying about yoga asana and such techniques, then you found out, you understood very well that for different human beings, this reflection of the higher self is more or less clear. Like you can say that for a man like Ramakrishna or for a woman like Mananda Mai, the reflection of the higher self in the lower self is perfect. These people have a perfectly limpid water with a perfectly clear surface, with a perfectly peaceful surface. And the sun which you see in the water is just as much as the sun which you see when looking directly. The reflection is perfect. That simply says such a human being lives with the divine into them. It is like Paul the Apostle of Christ who says from now on it is not I, Paul, who is living in this body, but it is Christ Jesus who lives in this body. He surrendered, he gave himself totally, and he feels like Jesus lives in his body. Jesus, like the higher self, he, Paul, the old ego, the old lower self. His lower self had been changed. The body is impregnated by the divine consciousness and thus bearing the seal, the mark of the divine consciousness. Therefore, it is a well-known thing in spirituality that one of the main dualities of the spiritual practitioner is this duality between the higher self, which is our archetype, our model for perfection, and the lower self, which is subjected to the influences of DNA, <coughs> society, education, astrological sign under which we are born, samskaras and karma from previous lives and other such influences, while the higher self never has such influences. The higher self is not even influenced by the gender under which we are born. Man or woman makes no difference from the standpoint of the higher self. <clears throat> that is why, of course, the whole story of spirituality in yoga included is the fact that the man is trying to subordinate the lower self to the higher self. As long as you serve your lower self, as long as you live this egocentric life in which the whole purpose is to please your ego, your personality, then automatically one cannot integrate into the divine. The human being has to fit in to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have to be one with God. Your will must be the will of God. You cannot imagine for a second that you are going to be saved and go in the kingdom of God 
by using the Christian terminology for that. And as you go in the kingdom of God, you are going to start a revolution in the kingdom of God. Because you are actually not agreeing with some of the things which happen in the kingdom of God. If you have that position, you don't make it to the kingdom of God. It means only those whose will is aligned 100% with the divine will, only those can be part of the kingdom of God. The same thing would be valid even about lower accomplishments, such as going to Shambhala. You cannot go to Shambhala and suddenly say the king of the world is an asshole. I disagree with his decisions and some of the brass, some of the top brass who is here in Shambhala. Then you have been wrongly admitted in Shambhala. Before you were admitted to Shambhala, you should be the kind of person who should surrender totally, who should have an exemplary humility, who should not brag about any big ego thing like I know better, I would do this thing better and all that. All those still belong very much to the inferior layers of our being. It is very difficult to understand the higher self from this perspective, from this standpoint. That is why again and again in spirituality, spirituality is a dialogue between the lower self and the higher self. It is very, very important to remember this because many people think that spirituality is an environment which is meant to satisfy them. And while spirituality does satisfy some of the deep things of yourself, it is not necessarily satisfactory on the lower sub-levels. Many people practicing spirituality they undergo purifications. Even the physical level of your personality, which is the body itself, even the physical level of our existence, sometimes does not tolerate some things. We are impure and start, we start putting ourselves in touch with something pure and divine. And then for three days we have fever. Then one day we have like a digestive thing and we feel like throwing up. Then we're having some eruption on the skin and our body eliminates something. How many of the people being in yoga have not experienced purification even physically? Which simply says, when you do yoga, you bring in your being something which is not like the things which you did until one month ago. You bring in your being something which in a certain way contradicts and says, not like this. This was not good. Let's change it. Let's do it in another way. And thus you experience revolution. You experience change even physically. The same thing happens energetically, the same thing happens emotionally, the same thing happens mentally. Like there are many, many people who nourish simply because the education in the society is less and less spiritual. There are many people who nourish thoughts, emotions, which are totally unspiritual. There are really people who before coming to yoga, they say, oh, I liked to watch soap operas, but the soap operas are an emotional and mental level which is radically different from the environment of spirituality, yoga or something like this. 
There are people who come to yoga and they say, before I came to yoga, I, liked, I used to like jazz rock or hard rock. If you will become like Milarepa or like Ramakrishna, I promise you will dislike hard rock and jazz rock. Simply, it's not because, don't take it personally, like my, what, my taste is not good enough. It's not about that. But the music is known by, the, by its objective energetical effect. And if jazz rock and hard rock can kill plants in a glass house, of course they are harmful for the human being and for the environment in general. Even though you may like them. You like them because you are ruled by your ego, because you have a disharmonious Manipura, because you are frustrated, angry, and have a lot of other impurities, and then you can like the resonance, the screaming, howling resonance of those kinds of music. And therefore, in the moment when you become compassionate and loving and spiritual, those frequencies will disappear. And if somebody, after 20 years, plays to you this music, it's almost like somebody scratches you on your face or something. It's like, whoa, can you please turn it down? What's that music? And although you yourself would say, well, once upon a time, I might have liked that. What I'm trying to say here is that there is no choice. It is the way of the Atman or no way. There is no other way to do spirituality. Either you align with a higher self, or if not, there are people who say, can I not take my personality into spirituality? Sure, within some limits, there is a sort of a filtering thing, such as, for example, yama and niyama, the moral and ethical. As long as your personality integrates in yama and niyama, that part is okay, is welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Among the many saints of Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and so many other spiritual directions, there have been saints that have been more playful and humoristic. There have been saints, men and women, who have been more tough and more intolerant. There have been saints that have been more sanguine and... Uh, having a personality of that kind, more airy. There have been saints that they have been more choleric, more firebrand-like. There have been great saints that have been more melancholic and contemplative. Like there is no temperament or direction which is a priori not welcome into spirituality, into the kingdom of heaven. But, for example, we did not have saints that were, for example, I don't know, murderers, which were always uh, giving a solution, murder. Kill the bastards and then the world will be a better place. That is filtered out. So, yes, when your ego, when your lower self has, has things which are impure, out of the yama and niyama circle, then those will have to disappear. You can't take those with you. If you are attached to your inferior, disharmonious, lower self things, then you wait. I met people who did not do yoga because they said, this yoga changes me too much. When I started yoga, I had nothing against yoga changing me. 
provided that yoga change was changing me and was doing me like Yogananda or like Milarepa. Then it's a fantastic change. But some people are so much in love with your ego, with their ego, that they don't want any change. This is automatically a sort of qualification in spirituality. Some people are qualified for spirituality and it's okay for them to change if they become improved human beings and some people are afraid to change because actually they are clinging to the past. They are clinging to their ego things. That is why there is again and again no choice in spirituality but to surrender to the momentum of the higher self, as painful as that may sound from the standpoint of the lower self. Especially when there is a lot of attachment, especially when there is a lot of disharmony, sometimes the lower self is kicking back, it is defending itself. It is strange to see that people sometimes have very disharmonious personalities and yet they don't want to change because they say, but this is me. But actually yoga says, no, you are identifying with the wrong part of you. You are identifying, it's like somebody who identifies to their clothes or to their house or to something. You are not your preference to hard rock or jazz rock. That's an illusion. It is exactly like you say, I am my orange clothes. You are not really, but this attachment appears very often. And that is why in spirituality it is that always the lower self has to fade away. It can never really disappear. I'll get back to that in a second. And the higher self has to shine through. That's why in all the lives and personalities of a Ramana Maharishi, of a Swami Shivananda, of a Rumi, of a Saint Teresa of Avila and others, any other major mystics that we see in the world, you see always the divine self shining through them. Those people share some qualities. For example, in the Bible, Paul in the epistles, Paul speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do you recognize that somebody has been blessed by the Holy Spirit, is bathed in the Holy Spirit? And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, patience, love, and the likes of them. Like when you see a person without wisdom, that's not the higher self. The higher self always brings with it wisdom. The higher self always brings with it patience. The higher self always brings with it love and such things. And that is why the higher you can see that both Ramana Maharishi and Saint Teresa of Avila and Rumi were having wisdom, were having patience, were having love. There is a level where all the sages, all the male and female sages of this world, they share a common world. There is a common world of those people because all of them prize, value, wisdom, love and such high virtues 
which are precisely produced by the accurate reflection. If the sun reflects in your bowl of water and in your bowl of water, the reflection of the sun looks the same. That's why looking in the eyes of Ramana Maharishi and looking in the eyes of Saint Teresa of Avila, you see God. You see the sun which is reflected in their little bowl. They are just human beings, but their soul is in the likeness of God because the reflection has been purified, appeased, and now they reflect almost perfectly the original light, the original source of the cosmic consciousness. So in this way, our lower self diminishes until it becomes just to the minimum necessary and the higher self increases or it never can increase, it more like comes forth. In spirituality, this is done in two ways and Krishna here leaves the choice with the listener. Krishna basically doesn't say how you do it, but basically he says the lower self must be resembling to the higher self. Your ego must be trained to do deeds of light. Your self must do what your spirit dictates it to do. You have the inner spirit in you and your soul says, ah, I don't want to do that, I'm lazy. Within some limits, I have even seen great spiritual teachers, some which were more hyperactive and some which were more laid back. But they would never go beyond a certain limit. Like when the spirit talks, then such people would automatically listen. Like this has to be done. This being said, as I said, there are two directions. One direction is to see the, self, the higher self better. You have to put the ego down. This is generally the method used by the ascetic schools in India as opposite of the tantric mentality by the Vedantic schools which always preach and it is very often expressed as such in their textbooks that you have to squash the ego. For such lineages the ego has to be put down on purpose like you practice on purpose and not that you practice because you actually can't push it beyond the limit and you are even afraid of it but your teacher, your lineage, your school is practicing a lot of things to squash your ego and believe me it's not pleasurable to squash your ego exception made of people that have an incredible spiritual aspiration and an incredible surrender and then when something in their ego is really squashed they smile they smile and they say yes I understand this is to the better like the they can be humiliated they can be denied some of their primitive requests and then they will put their head down and they will say, I understand. No, even if they don't say it, they will understand it. I remember countless, countless situations in which people being part of such spiritual schools on purpose humiliated themselves. 
deprived themselves, stayed poor, made, took vows of obedience and other such things, specially to put down their ego. There were and there still are pupils who come to teachers of this kind and they simply say, destroy my ego. But remember, we are identified to our ego. So partly this means, destroy me. It feels like you are being destroyed and there is a lot of inner revolt. Sometimes when the ego is painfully big and painfully disharmonious, this thing is used in the other schools, in the tantric types of schools, because although the tantric methodology is using a slightly different approach, a different point of view, nevertheless an ego which is monstrously proeminent cannot let you do the job. It is a bit too much. And that's why don't think that this principle does not apply at all on the tantric path, only it is not the main approach. If you want a comparison, is let's say that somebody is trying to feel their etheric energy in the second body, in the pranamaya kosha, or somebody is trying to feel even their own astral energy on the manamaya kosha. As you know by now, normal people, average people, cannot feel their own energy body. This is what you learn in yoga. Some of you, after three weeks of yoga, you can already feel something like a breeze blowing through your body and you already have enlarged your awareness. You start feeling the prana. Some of you take three months. Whatever the time is there is taken, fact is that we know that people can learn to feel energy, which means to enlarge the spectrum of their perception. For the normal people to feel even their etheric energy in pranamaya kosha in the second body is under the radar. It is not into their level of perception. To feel your etheric energy, there are two ways in a similar way. One of them is to diminish the jamming influence of the physical body and another one is to increase the humming vehemence of the etheric body. Diminishing the jam jamming influence of the physical body. For example, if you fast, everybody knows that if you fast 24 hours, which means not eating anything which contains calories, no proteins, no carbs, no fats, so you can just drink water, basically. If you fast for 24 hours, you start feeling a little bit more dizzy, fuzzy, and in the moment when you do some yoga technology, you feel something flowing because simply it's like your body has become less visible. Your body, which was clamorous for attention, your body, which was like a screen and taking a lot of attention, now this screen is kind of diminishing. And suddenly, by comparison, you feel the other energy more. But there is another way. The other way is let the body be there, eat, be normal, and do some pranayama, 
and increase the amount of pranic energy. And then in spite of your body being the same, the energy will be humming with such intensity that you will feel it. And you will say, Ooh, I feel a lot of energy. And you didn't fast. You didn't mortify yourself. You didn't turn the body down. And yet you feel the energy. So it's all relative. It's the same thing with the ego and the higher self. You can turn down the ego or you can turn up the presence of the higher self. As I tell to people, if you are in a dim light, like it's let's say twilight, about to have sunrise, and you have a candle, and the candle is right in your face and it kind of blinds you. And some people say, blow off the candle. You blow off the candle, your eyes start getting used to the dusk, and then you start seeing, and that's like the higher self. The candle was your ego. But some people say, wait until the sun is rising. When the sun is full on, what power will the candle have? Therefore, the two approaches are to get to subordinate the lower self to the higher self, either diminish the lower self, which are self-punitive methods, like slap your wrist, kill your ego, which again sometimes is necessary anyway when the ego is simply too much. And people say, how do I know, Swami, if my ego is too much? First of all, you should have some common sense. Look at your life, because usually common sense can tell you you are one of the most selfish persons in the neighborhood. And if you really lack that much common sense, then there is a simple method. Take 10 colleagues from the same yoga group with yours, or 10 good friends, and ask them. Make a poll, please. Am I a selfish person with a big ego or not? Believe me, 10 people will see through you like through glass, like through limpid water. You cannot hide that. So if your friends tell you, yes, your ego is jarring, it's really a nasty thing, then it means you have to start slapping your wrist. You have to start looking into your ego thing. There is the method of dealing with the ego, and again, that's not pleasant. And may, for many people, that becomes their subject they're for criticizing spirituality. They say, I did this, or my friend did this and that, and then they started having this problem. Then somebody did this to them. Then I found them in that condition. And it's like, what? It's all about the diminishing of the ego. It's on the menu. It's in the curriculum. No, it's like it's not unexpected that people doing spirituality, especially when, when their ego is way too big, they have to start clipping parts of it and discarding them. But also, there is the influence of the higher self, like cultivate the higher self and make the sun rise so that the candle is not that important anymore. Then you will be in the presence of greatness, in the presence of divinity, and your ego naturally will fade away like, sure, my ego has so many colorful parts and it wants to do this and that, but ultimately I know that it's not the case to listen to it. Here, Krishna doesn't say which way you should do it, but I made this commentary especially for you 
because you should understand that different teachers and different methods, they lay emphasis on something. I met spiritual people who did not work so much on their sahasrara, like bringing energy to the crown chakra, but they constantly punished themselves. They constantly imposed onto themselves to, um, to observe discipline, humility, this, that. And of course, relatively, that's like you diminish something and the rest will shine by comparison. But in spirituality, both sides. I always recommend to people, diminish your ego, especially the ugly, disharmonious parts of your ego, and at the same time, bring energy to your heart chakra, to your throat chakra, to your third eye, and especially to the crown chakra, and develop the higher consciousness. Both should be done at the same time. That makes the process so much faster. And then, he, Krishna says, let a man lift his lower self by his own higher self alone. Like, we have the model within us. It is like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in inside everyone's heart. It is like many Indian gurus have said, the greatest guru, God, is in your own heart. Listen. Only if you would listen to this inner guru, then there would be no problems, really. Not listening to your ego, not listening to your emotions, not listening to your fears and preferences and search for, quest for personal pleasure and pleasure, personal fulfillment, but listening to the inner guru. Because we all have a conscience and this conscience knows the best thing for me to do now is this. Not to please myself, not to be superficial and to kind of dabble superficially into some things, but this is the right thing. If I would ask Jesus, if I would ask Buddha, if I would ask Rumi, this is what they would tell me that is right. It is very clear. And therefore, Krishna says, let a man lift himself, his lower self, by his higher self alone, which means let the higher self be reflected. In yoga, this is done specially working on the heart chakra because the yogis have perceived that the higher self can be reflected in the heart chakra specially. For example, the Zen Buddhists of Japan, they never work on the heart chakra. They don't have any knowledge of the heart chakra and it's not part of their curriculum. For them, the higher self reflects at the level of their hara, which is the Manipura chakra of the yogis. And they simply say, even your Manipura chakra can reflect your Buddha nature. Your hara, when it is appeased, purified, taken at a deep level, your hara becomes your Buddha nature. Your hara makes you do what your Buddha nature would make you do. Your hara gets aligned with the Buddha nature 
exactly in the same way the Christian mystics and many Hindu mystics working more on Anahata than on Manipura, which is substantiated by the presence of Jivatman at the level of Anahata. So traditionally, it's more like the Zen Buddhism is an odd method because all these heart chakra methods are more natural because they actually reflect something in the very structure of the human being. It's much more easy to see the divine consciousness reflected in Anahata than to see the divine consciousness reflected in Manipura. While it's possible, but Anahata has a special status because Anahata is the mid-chakra. It's the center of our being. There are three chakras above it and three chakras below it. And Anahata has this six-pointed star as symbol, the meeting of the higher and of the lower, of the cosmic and of the telluric. That's why the real center of our being is not Hara. It can be made to be so, but the real center of our being is ultimately the heart, metaphysically speaking. So that's why in yoga, here we teaching more the path of yoga embedded with other spiritualities and not the path of Zen Buddhism, we more teach to people that working on Anahata, working on the deep levels of the heart chakra, you can see the emergence of this, the lower self start looking like the creator. The lower self looks like the higher self. Man starts bearing the resemblance of God because man is built in the resemblance of God, says the Bible. So this being said, the higher self lifts our lower self by reflection. Like we have uh, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde, or whatever they were called, the other way around perhaps, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it doesn't matter, because the point being that every human being is split. Every human being goes into this syntagm of angel and demon. And in spirituality, you try to make this seesaw tilt on the side of the angel, like let the higher nature take charge. Let the lower nature be subordinated to the higher nature. And this process is delicate. In normal situations, it is the ego that leads. For 99.9% .9 of the people who do not practice active spirituality, they may practice some lip service type of spirituality, but not the self-transformation, actual evolution in which you do moral, ethical, practical things, for such people, unfortunately, the ego leads. Socrates didn't call it the ego. He said every human being is accompanied by a pig. And usually it is the pig riding on the back of the man, not the man riding on the back of the pig, as it ought to be. It ought to be that our ego serves us. But unfortunately, very often we serve the ego. And that is why Krishna says, let the higher self take charge. Listen to the higher self. Listen to the teachings of wisdom. Listen to what, has, what was said by those men and those women that discovered the higher self. 
listen to the divine teachings because all those speak from the higher self. When the Jewish prophets were talking to the crowds, kings or others, they would suddenly go in a special state and suddenly they would become extremely bold. They would say, listen, O Israel, what Lord God has to say. Like, what kind of nerve do you have to say? Now, it's not me, Jack, speaking. It is the Lord, it is the God of our people that speaks through me. Like right now, I'm not telling something which serves my ego. Right now, I'm talking with the voice of the higher wisdom. Right now, the Supreme Self talks through me. This which I say now is wisdom, is common sense from a spiritual standpoint. And this is the voice of God. Every human being has this voice of God. Because every human being has a consciousness and the conscience and when we do stupid things we know that we do stupid things we know that we shouldn't do them we can try to lie to ourselves to pamper ourselves but most people know that they do wrong things in the moment when you do totally non or anti-spiritual things and you don't even notice in that moment that's called mental disease you are mentally disturbed you are having a wrong perception of reality. You are like not even noticing what's real. Most people, they smoke and they know it's wrong to smoke. Most people, they do violence and they know that they really shouldn't do violence. So there is a conscience deep there which tells us what needs to be done. And the whole thing is if we are going to listen to it or not. And thus, the lower self can be lifted by a higher self. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is. And many people say, how should I be perfect? But Jesus doesn't bother to explain because he knows. You know. You know what that is like. You just pretend you don't know what it is like. But all these values about compassion and love and wisdom and patience and all those things lack of ego and looking for the truthfulness and all those they are known everybody has a common sense which understands what that is and you can say people in my country really don't perceive these things it means people in your country are mentally diseased en masse it is a characteristic of the kali yuga that more and more children and people are becoming alienated, autistic, mentally disturbed, perturbed in their souls to the point where they don't perceive the truth anymore. And then in such a situation, it's very difficult. It's very difficult even to do some spirituality because first of all, you have to remind to people about the elementary values, about things which are common sense and they should be embedded in our, conscience, in our consciousness. This process that the higher self changes the lower self is a difficult process. In alchemy, they even said when you do this process, 
you should never turn the fire up because the alchemists had a metaphor in which they looked upon the evolution of the human being like boiling a broth like making an alchemic savant blend which is supposed to result eventually into the philosopher's stone and into the powder of projection and all those byproducts which are symbols of wisdom immortality spiritual immortality and all the rest and alchemists say when you boil this mixture if you stoke the fire too high the mixture might cut exactly like you are trying to do some curd or something and if you put a big fire then the milk will cut and you'll get cheese and whey it will simply separate it's exactly like you you fail when you want to do some mayonnaise and the mayonnaise cuts and it's like oops what have I done I have to start from the beginning that is exactly what we're talking about in the human being that's one of the aspects of spirituality the lower self has to be re-educated transformed if you do that re-education too quickly too rudely the mayonnaise could cut and then instead of getting a saint or an enlightened being you can get a person that is crazy split schizophrenic or something that is why spirituality is a very serious and delicate business that's why not everybody does spirituality and that's why not everybody teaches spirituality there are people who think that you can teach spirituality you come to Agama learn a month or two then you go somewhere to America North America or South America and you start teaching spirituality but really how much experience does that person have in dealing with a human soul how much does that person know about diminishing the ego and increasing the self in a harmonious way without destroying that person without cutting the mayonnaise people think that teaching spirituality is easy it's not it's the most difficult thing in the world because this rabbit hole is much much deeper than just the fact that you teach some technology and all the paraphernalia all the things there it is about turning modifying the lower self in such a way that it corresponds to the higher self and he says also Krishna here let not debase his higher self because his higher self can be debased for example a man like I don't know let's take an uncontroversially wicked type uh, Joseph Stalin or something somebody who is a famous tyrant murderer really alienated temperament such a person is born with an Atman like you and I and yet this person does the work of hell on earth such a person debases his self you would expect that an ugly robot a zombie would do that that people that have inside themselves a spark of light would bear the mark of the divine would lift their eyes towards heaven from time to time and seek for counsel and then you have people who become such monsters 
they betray the self. It's like the divine consciousness gave them a higher self and such people drag that self through the mud. It's like mocking your own higher self, which is a divine gift. And that is why Krishna says, rise your ego towards the higher self. Do not drag the higher self down. The pig is riding on the back of the man. And the man, the true man, the Adam, the divine Adam, the perfect creation of God, is serving the mud, is serving the swamp, is serving the darkness, is serving his own ego. The pig is riding on the back of the man. That is a debasement. It happens often. Perhaps it is even necessary in the big picture. And it is possible that many of you who are here one life ago or ten lifetimes ago or a thousand lifetimes ago, you have done maybe similar things and you have learned your lesson. Maybe, again, metaphysically in the big picture, that is necessary. But still, at the same time, that's not nice from a spiritual standpoint. So Krishna makes it clear. He says, let a man lift his lower self but his higher self. Let him also not lower his higher self like I want to live my life in a soap opera. What do you do with the divine gift which God gave to you? God gave you an immortal soul. God gave you consciousness. In the end of the life, when that angel will clap you on the shoulder and will tell you, show me, show me your life, show me what you've done with your life, what are you going to show? What have I done with this gift from God? Jesus, in one of his parables, he says that God wants you to multiply the coin, the dinner or whatever that coin is, that the master gave to his servant ten coins and the servant came in the end of the year or something with eleven. He multiplied it. This is the message. Like the message is that we always have to go forward. Remember that quote which says, for the evil to triumph, it is enough that good people should do nothing. And good people said, well, we just stayed in the forest and meditated. No, we did nothing. But if you do nothing then the balance is already 51% on the side of the darkness. You have to do something. Unfortunately, for those of you who are passive and lazy, the message is that you cannot afford to be passive and lazy. In this life, you have to do something. You have to multiply the dinner. Remaining the way you were when you were born is not good enough. You have to make at least 1% progress. There has to be some evolution. You have to push things forward a little bit. And that is why when you pass away, then if you are confronted with your own consciousness like your own guardian angel, you say, what have I done with my life in this life? I have done basically nothing. What can I show? Eating, sleeping, procreating, that's all my life was about. What have I really done? 
at least I can say I have tried in this life to become more non-violent. I have tried in this life to become more truthful. Basic things. I'm not talking about working on Sahasrara and increasing my level of consciousness. Only the pros, only the hardcores do that. But at least to say, I have tried to cultivate some virtues. Not even all ten of them. Not even all ten of the Yamas and Niyamas. I was not strong on them all enough to fight for all those ten. I took one of them. I just tried to cultivate non-violence or truthfulness. I remember in the fathers, in the stories of the fathers of the desert, there is one, and everybody knew that that man was kind of lazy, like everybody was doing tapas, lots of tapasia, and that was one of the most negligent ones. So the others, of course, they accepted him, but they knew this one is not really putting his shoulder into it. And yet when his death was coming, this man was serene. He was awaiting for his death with serenity. And the others told him, how come? Even in front of death, you are serene. Because now, let's be honest, we all know that you are one of the least diligent monks in this monastery. So you are not the one who goes there to present a lot of good uh, deeds, a lot of hours of prayer and vigil and this. So it's like, what are you going to show at the final judgment? And this man said, brothers, it's true, you are perfectly right. Compared to you, I am nothing in my perseverance and practice. But ever since my dwelling here with you, I have taken this one discipline from the words of Jesus, I that I should never try to judge anything. Because Jesus says, with the same measure with which you judge unto others, God will judge unto you. Like if you are very high maintenance, God will be high maintenance with you. If you are very tolerant, God will be very tolerant. That's of course because God is just your own consciousness or your own consciousness is God. And therefore, it's just the law of resonance. You have in you exactly the attitude. You are loving, your God will be a loving God. You are very exacting, your God is going to be very nastily exacting to you. Because your God is your own conscience. You are your own most perfect judge in your own deeper consciousness. And so this man said, I never judged anybody. In my sp I never said that somebody is good, bad. I, I never judged anybody. So I expect that God will not judge me. And the others bowed down to him with reverence because they understood that spiritual evolution can be done in many ways, but this man practiced a virtue. He chose one virtue. He said, I don't have the self-discipline to stand in the night and do prayer the whole night. But I can at least not judge other people. This much I can do. Therefore, remember that it's always important to rise the self. And he says, let not lower his higher self. This is the tragedy. That most people, especially in Kali Yuga, they live such a life that they make a mockery. They make a caricature out of the divine self. Everybody has in their hearts a divine consciousness, 
and we drag it through the mud, quarreling with people over 20 bucks, over who's in charge, over this and over that, living in a soap opera, living a miserable tiny life the size of a cup of tea. That's all our universe. That my neighbor, his cow, stepped over my land and grazed some of my grass. Is this really the biggest problem in the universe? That the cow of your neighbor or that the dog of your neighbor came on your lawn and shat on it? Is this the problem? You know, this is the life of a person with a very small mind, with a very small heart, who cannot see further away than the tip of their nose. Their universe is so small. These are minor problems. These are problems for which Rumi and Milarepa wouldn't have cared a bit. The, the life consists of much, much greater issues. <coughs> so, Krishna says, lift your lower self, lift your ego by reflection of the higher self and do not debase your higher self. By the lifestyle which you choose, you can drag the divine gift given to you through the mud. You can live a life of mud, a swampy life, instead of living at least a life which is decent, where you get an extra 1% in the end, where you have made a bit of evolution, a bit of progress. Because, he says, this self alone is a friend of oneself, the higher self is your real friend, because that's eternal life. And he says this self alone is the enemy of oneself. The people who serve their ego, they actually hate themselves and destroy themselves. Saint Augustine said, the law of God says that first and foremost you should love yourself. Love yourself, not pamper your ego. Love yourself. And St. Augustine said, if you really would love yourself, you would want to make yourself immortal. Because that's the greatest gift which you can give to yourself. If you really think you are wonderful, then why not make yourself last forever? If you love yourself, you want to save yourself. You want to take yourself to the kingdom of heaven. You want to reach nirvana. If you don't love yourself, you say, my hands are shaking, my bones are frail, my skin has withered, my teeth are falling one by one, I can't get it up, I'm old, I just hope to die and get a new body and live again. Like, I don't want to save myself. I actually want to die. I had fun, it was fun while it lasted, now I'm preparing for my death and then I'm going to have a rerun in my next life if there is a next life. This is not somebody who loves themselves. This is somebody who simply says, now it's time for me to disappear. It's time for me to go away. This is not love. Most people smoke. You ask them, do you want to destroy yourself? When we ask people under the state of hypnosis, no, we had people here with severe disease. They did hypnotherapy, and under hypnotherapy, the hypnotherapist asked them, do you really want to be healthy? And the voice of their hypnotized inner self said no. Like there is nothing to say, because actually we want to destroy ourselves. 
We hate ourselves. There are so many people who don't like their body. They don't like their personality. They don't like their lives. They don't like... And basically then inside, all that frustration develops just a secret need that we want to kill ourselves. Of course, we do it in very indirect, invisible and sophisticated ways because we don't want ourselves to see that we really do that. And either we do drugs or we smoke or we drink or we drive recklessly or we do stupid or we practice extreme sports in which we risk our lives or we do this or we do that. We really slowly, slowly try to destroy ourselves. We don't really try to build ourselves to make ourselves blossom. Remember, and I'm going to resume it from this strophe number five. I didn't finish exploring the glorious meanings of this strophe. Next week when we continue with the satsang, I will start from here. The conclusions of this strophe until here are rise yourself, your lower self, by imitating the perfection of the archetype which is in you. Use, do not debase the higher self because the higher self is precious. The Tibetan Buddhists, they don't speak about the higher self. They say, having gained a human birth free and without imperfection, which is so difficult to obtain. Like the Tibetan Buddhists say, you are born as a free human being. That's a difficult condition to obtain. Use it to the best. It's a gift. How do you multiply that gift? So do not debase your higher self. And Krishna then proves saying it is the higher self which is your true friend because it takes you to immortality and salvation from darkness to light, from unreality to reality, from mortality to immortality as that famous Vedic mantra says. That's our higher self. And then the lower self is truly our enemy. I look at people with strong egos and I see always how much they punish themselves. The lives of people with strong egos, although you'd say, oh, but those people really care about themselves. In a way, and then in another way, they whip themselves really hard and they punish themselves. There is no love in the ego. The love comes from beyond the ego because love is based on selflessness. Love means that the other matters at least as much as you do and people out of love even sacrifice their lives for somebody dear. And that is why love cannot go together with selfishness. Either you are selfish or you have love. If you have love, you have no selfishness. It's not really possible. And that is why... The ego, paradoxically, is the enemy of our being. It is not really the friend, although it can seem to be a friend. We need to conclude here.